This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Tuesday, April 18th. The forecast for today, cloudy skies, a slight chance of some flurries early this morning, and then maybe some rain this afternoon. Winds a little on the breezy side, today's high six degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the Special Investigations Unit clears a police officer in that condo shooting death in Vaughn. Number two, a Russian cargo plane is going to be seized at Pearson and given to Ukraine. Number three, the country braces for a civil service strike. Number four, gas going up by eight cents a liter at midnight. And number five, how'd you like to get to work on a boat? The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.08 is the time and a chill two degrees outside. I don't know if we can necessarily say it's a rude awakening, but we were lulled into this false sense of not only spring, but summer. And now we're back to below average for spring. But uh, let's start digging into things uh, very quickly, because I appreciate this happened while Jerry was on the air yesterday. But it's uh, the confirmation of it is new for us this morning on our show. And that's Olivia Chow got into the race. There is no denying that it uh, shakes things up. Although a lot of people I was talking with yesterday had kind of the same perspective on it. And I wish I could remember who it was. Maybe some of you listening right now will remember. And you can always text me at 71010. But one person yesterday observed that it was time to break out the disco boots. I mean, um, the heyday of Jack Layton and Olivia Chow in Toronto is decades ago. And it's not like she's some sort of out of touch old lady, but it may just mean that time has kind of passed the Olivia Chow era by. She ran for mayor in 2014. She placed third, but she is undeniably a front runner as she runs for mayor once again in 2023. Well, I just can't stand by. People feel they're stuck stuck in traffic, stuck waiting for buses, uh, stuck waiting for affordable housing or uh, trying to get your kids in a swim program, stuck even waiting for 911. Mm -hmm. That's serious, right? So I can't stand by. So I thought, okay, let's do this together. Let us create a city where people can feel safer, more affordable and... um, Make sure that we care for each other, where everybody feels they belong. So stuck is a pretty good word, actually, to use. And I mean, everything is so finely messaged in this election campaign. You just know it's been focus grouped and tried out in uh, all kinds of different forums and venues. But, you know, stuck, I think that is how a lot of Torontonians feel. Although imperiled is also (laughs) how many feel. I couldn't help but think... As I stepped out of the garage this morning, and actually I'm not even stepping out of the garage, get out of the car. First thing you do is check around, see who's in the garage. Nobody's in the garage. Okay. Then you go to the staircase and you punch the fire door and you go into the staircase. Is there going to be anybody there? No. Okay. We're good. Get to the lobby, check the corner where people like to slumber, even though they've changed the configuration of the lobby of the parking lot so that the door locks, but still eventually somebody's going to figure that one out. Uh, Get out into the street. Look right as you get onto the sidewalk to see if anybody's coming your way. Look left. Okay, start. Cross street. Get to the corner. Look back just to make sure nobody... That is 
I don't think, an uncommon experience in the city of Toronto these days. So stuck doesn't necessarily apply to that scenario, but stuck does apply to being in a car, waiting for a subway, not being able to get your kids in a swim program. Stuck, I guess, applies to a bathroom being locked on a Sunday afternoon when you're in the park. So that's going to be Olivia Chow's message. And I, I, I think... I'm on the same page as pretty well every other Torontonian who attends to vote, which is let's give it a few weeks. Let's wait for a debate. Let's see what kind of brainstorms individual candidates have. Let's take the measure. Let's see who drops out. I mean, Mitzi Hunter, a few people were upset yesterday. I created three tiers of candidates, and one was the people who I think have a pretty good shot at being elected mayor. Second level was people I thought are going to be considered but are not in the first tier. Third was contenders and troublemakers. And then actually there's a fourth tier, which is like nobody even knows who they are. Uh, but I put Mitzi Hunter on the second t tier, and there are two reasons for that. I think Mitzi Hunter is one of those people that people in very political circles talk about and the general population is still quite unfamiliar with. But the additional aspect would be she has not yet resigned from Queens Park, which I think is starting to signal that she's not really all that serious about this, that she's looking to make a bit of a splash and then she'll go back to a good job that she already got elected to. Because you have to you know, politics has a considerable amount of jeopardy. The city councilors who are running for mayor are going to be able to hold on to their jobs because they don't have to quit. And actually, I am not amongst those people who thinks that they have to resign to run. I mean, how how many councilors are not going to be elected mayor of Toronto? And then we've got to run a by-election to replace people who were already presumably good at their jobs. But also, let it not be forgotten you know, John Tory ran for re-election as mayor of Toronto while being the mayor of Toronto. And I think he was capable of doing both things. But uh, Mitzi Hunter is required to resign from Queen's Park to run, and she has not done so, which I think means that she's kind of on the fence or I'm not sure what other terms we could use. I just don't think she's all that serious about it. Ashley Legasic provided you with some graphic details of the special investigations unit report that has come in on that Vaughn condo mass shooting. And I agree with some people who have of late pointed out that, you know, here we had a mass shooting in a condo tower where a guy went door to door, rang the bell, I guess, if there was a bell or knocked on the door and people opened and said, oh, okay, I know you from the condo board, you're trouble, bang. And he murdered people one after the other. But I'll give you greater detail about this later on in the show. But the police officer who remains unidentified because he has been found to have, you know, I don't know if they use the phrase justified kill in Canadian police reports, um, but the police officer was cleared. And what happened was the gunman, the 73-year-old man, was stopped in the hallway. Initially, the police officer thought that he was just another hapless condo dweller trying to get out of the way. Then he realized he was the shooter. And according to testimony, the shooter raised his arm as if to point his weapon at the officer, and the officer fired twice and killed him. 
Our favorite time of the morning. We're joined by John Moore with News Talk 1010 to discuss what the city is talking about. Now, this one made headlines later last year and is continuing to do so today. The SIU clearing the cop in the Vaughn condo shooting, John. You're absolutely right. The Special Investigations Unit looking into that shooting, which left five people dead and another person wounded, has cleared the police officer who will remain unidentified in the shooting of the gunman. The gunman was Francesco Villi, a 73-year-old man who was upset with his condo board, had a long list of grievances, was about to be uh, evicted from his own condo. He went on a shooting spree in the condo. The officer who would ultimately shoot him dead was one of the first to arrive. He engaged him thought he was just another condo dweller trying to get out of the way, then realized he was holding a weapon. The officer told the investigators that he did not want to shoot the man, told him several times to drop the weapon, but then the man raised the weapon toward the officer. He fired four times, the police officer that is, and struck him twice, killing him. So a uh, graphic detail in that report, but also remarkable police work that disarmed a man who was probably going to kill others. That's right. Switching gears here, this has been a big sticking point for the mayoral race. A possible announcement to move the science center could be coming today. Well, remember last week, Doug Ford said, you stand by, something's coming. So something that was sort of an almost an oddball issue when Anna Bylaw, one of the mayoral candidates, stood at Ontario Place and said she wanted to move the Science Centre, maybe she'd already had her finger in the wind because apparently it is going to happen. This is big change because the Science Centre has existed since 1969. It's been kind of an anchor in the area that it is in, but what they're going to do is demolish it, replace it with housing, then build at Ontario Place. I guess the big question mark is how much and how long. Exactly that. And speaking of pricey things to do moving forward, gas prices set to go up quite significantly tomorrow. Eight cents a liter. So gas up today if you possibly can. This is being attributed to the switch to summer gas. I'll never quite understand the difference between winter gas and summer gas, but there you are. Eight cents a liter. And that takes you to an average of about a buck sixty-four a liter. Now, the Ford government just can't seem to stay out of the news this time. A very controversial move to revamp school boards. You almost wonder if the announcement that was made on Sunday, which was a good news announcement about education, where they're going to hire a thousand new people to help kids with math and reading, if maybe that was cover for some radical stuff, actually. The province's 72 school boards are going to be uh, revamped to a degree. They're going to actually have to post their progress on government student achievement priorities. Uh, perhaps more importantly, uh, the government is stepping in and saying that if a school board is downsizing, if they're closing a school, they're going to have to offer it to another school board. Uh, they currently don't do that. And if another school board doesn't want that school, then it's going to have to be examined for development. So it's, it's not, uh, you know, big footing necessarily the school boards, but it is uh, taking away some of their powers. That's exactly right, and more waterfront news as well. A proposal to facilitate ferries for commutes. This is a, sort of a two-pronged thing. One is something that was already announced, and that's a hovercraft that would take people between Toronto and the Niagara region. And instead of having to do like a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive, you could do it in a half hour by boat. But there's also an exploration right now for commuting, and I guess we'd be just a bit more like Seattle. It would be small craft, so like maybe in Scarborough, you'd hop on. On a boat that carries five people and it would take you to the bottom of Spadina. This is not entirely a new idea, but it's nice to see it being readdressed. Absolutely. They do it in New York, they do it in other parts. Why not here in Toronto? Thanks so much. Our John Moore with News Talk 1010.
And that's Aiden, Eden DeBebe, who is uh, absolutely a uh, pleasure to work with, I have to say. And for aficionados, if there could be such a thing for our 515 segment, uh, radio listeners will know there's no longer a one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi delay. And if you were watching, the signal was that much better because we finally um, upgraded to using in-studio cameras and real-time audio interface. All right, that is way technical. But, you know, Nick Marano, not without some interest, I have to imagine. Well, there'll be a quiz on Thursday, so pay attention. Okay, there you go. Everybody put their homework under my door by 4 p.m. The ferry thing is interesting, and it's on the agenda this morning. Uh, Tim Hudak is going to be on the morning brief, and then we have the roundtables at 7.45, 8.45. I'm always dubious about some plans as they are announced in the city of Toronto because I have dubbed this city, City of the Eternal Plan. But I would be delighted if we were to entertain alternatives to how people get around. And I just think... Yeah, I appreciate that if people are going to travel by water, there has to be some degree of supervision and regulation because that's kind of dangerous. But still, I would like to see us be more nimble. When I go to the islands, quite frequently, I'll take my bike to the islands for a ride and then grab a lunch, and I'll just grab a water taxi because you can arrive on a water taxi and be gone in five minutes instead of going to the ferry terminal and lining up and then load the boat and then travel across. You go zip, zip, zip. And if somebody could go from the beach to the base of Toronto's downtown in uh, a high-speed boat or hovercraft or something like that, I think it'd be great. And it would just be that fewer people who are driving along uh, the lakeshore and happier people probably just enjoying the boat ride. And as for getting to Niagara on the lake, I know it's going to go to St. Catharines. They already identified where it would dock. But if you could get there in a half an hour, instead of getting on the road, getting into a traffic jam on the Gardner, then on the QEW, then getting into that elbow at Burlington Hamilton, then the Skyway, if you could do it in a half hour and be drinking a cocktail at five, fantastic. Just coming up to 529, so 60 seconds away from the half hour headlines and a check on traffic. Enough time to get people all jazzed about the fact that the Maple Leafs enter playoff action tonight. And believe it or not, odds makers are putting the Maple Leafs in the top four to win the Stanley Cup. And here's the thing. It's one thing to be a Maple Leafs fan and to be hopeful about things. It's another to be an odds maker because when you're an odds maker, you may have to pay out if something happens. So if you are betting on a scenario, it's because with your clever analysis, you actually think it's a possibility. Uh, Maple Leafs concluded the regular season with a 50-21-11 record. Good enough for second in the Atlantic Division, but uh, fairly far behind the Bruins. And right now, the Bruins are the favorite to win. Now, that would totally fly up the nose of Montrealers in Toronto uh, and Torontonians because the Bruins have always, especially in Montreal, um, mostly because it's so easy to get from Montreal to Boston. There's always been a pretty heavy transfer for decades of people to go and watch games. But also, I always remember when I was growing up and rooting for the Montreal Canadiens, the Bruins were known as the Bruisers. They were absolutely one of the toughest teams around. And so they would deck 
many a member of the Habs. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 536, three chilly degrees out there. If you're like me, I moved a whole bunch of uh, heavy winter coats downstairs, but then I left sort of the mid-range ones upstairs. And then this morning I looked at the temperature and I thought, okay, I can go to the basement and get the the, the warm one or just run to the car <laughs> in, in this shell. And so that's how I handled it. But for the next few days, it's going to be a little bit on the cooler side. But hey, we got spoiled on the weekend. We enjoyed it and now we're paying the price. It's a very Catholic way of looking at it. I appreciate it. So that enormous Russian cargo plane, which, and I'm kind of goofy about this sort of stuff, right? I was quite by accident because my Waze map bringing me home from, I forget where, but I guess I was at way out in the West End. And it rooted me through all these back roads I had almost never been on, including the one that goes in front of the headquarters for Pearson Airport. And there it was. That Russian cargo plane, it's an AN-124, and I know people in the aviation industry are always very excited about this plane. It is amongst the biggest or the biggest plane that there is. It's a great lumbering thing. It's kind of like a modern Lancaster. And the thing is, it flew in with some COVID supplies from China, landed at Pearson. It was supposed to empty itself out and take off and go back to Russia. Except that during the time it was on the runway, we clamped down on Russian aviation and Russian business, and the plane was denied permission to leave. And so it's been sitting there ever since. And as a matter of fact, they've been billing 74 cents a minute to park at Toronto Pearson, which amounts to $1,065.60 for every 24-hour period. I wonder if they're paying. So as part of the visit by the Prime Minister of Ukraine to Canada, which actually happened in Toronto this week, um, what they decided to do was we're going to give it to the Ukrainians. And so the Ukrainians will be able to use it for whatever they want, relief supplies, um, military cargo, whatever it is. I have to imagine it's pretty high value target for the Russians that they, if they can't have it, they don't want the Ukrainians to have it. But still, there is something quite satisfying in taking something away from the Russians and giving it to the Ukrainians. Although very early on in all of this sanction stuff, like when they were taking yachts away from Russian billionaires, somebody pointed out that the whole idea is not to take it away, auction it off and give the money to the Ukrainians, but to take it away and hold it hostage because then the oligarch has the hopes of getting his yacht back or the property in London or whatever. So they have a motivation to change their behavior. If you simply take something away from somebody and sell it off or blow it up, then you, you negate the possibility that you might be able to change their behavior. Speaking of things, aviation, There are people out there who spend a lot of time listening to air traffic control, 911. Well, actually, no, they can't hear 911 because that's not on the airwaves. Um, But police signals, fire signals, all that kind of stuff. And they record it and sometimes share it via the Internet. And that's how we learn about aviation incidents. For example, March 11, a flight from Kelowna to Toronto managed to avert catastrophe. Uh, It was an Air Canada Airbus A. 
three, two, one, and it was coming in at Pearson, and they had a landing gear malfunction. And the jeopardy here was that they were burning out of their fuel, and they had to go around and try it all over again. Here's the radio signal. And so I say Canada 192, we have to uh, go around to uh, troubleshoot. Yeah, we don't have a lot of fuel for troubleshooting here. If you could start us a turn back to the downwind, uh, we're going to have to, uh, well, we really only have about uh, half an hour here. We'd like to have the, uh, the emergency vehicle waiting for us. Sure, okay. Well, we're going to clear up pan pan this time. There, Canada 192, pan 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 pan. And, uh... That's the worst. Uh, well, aside from Mayday Mayday, but Pan 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 is basically a declaration of an emergency. Crews were able to manually extend the landing gear um, and make a second approach. And the plane touched down at Pearson with 16 minutes of fuel remaining. I wonder if that was shared with the passengers. It's kind of a dilemma question, isn't it? Like, do the passengers really need to know and end up in a blind panic? Or do you just pull it off? sweat in the cockpit, land the plane, and then stand at the front of the plane and say, thanks a lot for flying Air Canada. That's great. Thanks. Thanks. Goodbye. Uh, Elon Musk has amended the CBC's label on Twitter. And if ever you needed more confirmation that he's got the mindset, demeanor, and mean of, uh, you know, a second-year university student who's living away from his parents for the first time... Uh, the CBC pointed out, first of all, the CBC said, you, you want to label us on Twitter like this? We're going to go along with NPR and PBS in the States. We're just not going to use Twitter anymore. And eventually, Twitter is going to lose whatever legitimacy it might have if all the institutional clients are walking away and all you're left with are really angry people yelling at each other. So... It was pointed out that the CBC actually is not entirely government funded because there's advertising on television. So they pointed out that less than 70 or it's government funding amounts to around 70 percent of the uh, the ticket. So Elon Musk amended the label to say it's 69 percent government funded. Get that 69. It's funny because it's a sexual thing. Um. And for all those people chortling, like, ah, about time they labeled the CBC, fine. Then let's label the Sun newspaper empire. Let's label every media outlet that got a government grant because of all the chaos of COVID and the decline of advertising revenue. Um, the idea that the CBC is operationally and editorially controlled by the government is garbage. Now, the CBC may be dominated by people who are uh, left of center in their frame of the world, so is Canada. So for the most part, it just happens that way. But this, um, the, you know, the rubbing of hands together that finally the CBC has been identified as Canada's Pravda is just silly. So I really, I like these ideas. I just you know, it, it's not the first time. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably about 10 years old. You know, I have a certain preoccupation with um, transit and rail and stuff like that. And we got this fancy pamphlet at my parents' house. And it was all about a new rapid rail project that was going to be built in Montreal. And I thought, this is great. And it was going to run out to the airport and beyond to the West Island. And it never got built because it was one of about 50 abortive 
projects. And here in Toronto, we came up with a very comprehensive map of a TTC streetcar system that they were going to build in 1912. We have still not built all of the lines that were identified in 1912. Uh, we're actually these days making some progress. And, you know, hats off to the Ford administration for fast tracking the Ontario line. Can't wait for it to be done. I realize there's going to be a ton of pain. Queen Street's going to be closed for years. Properties are going to be expropriated. We've got all kinds of, um, you know, issues that will have to be addressed. The trees came back, came down in Osgood Hall, and then they suddenly realized that maybe they didn't have to cut the trees down. But setting that aside, it's getting done. And for years, we've talked about trying to have a strategy for getting people around on the waterfront. And it looks like we're addressing that anew. Um, the uh, Waterfront Toronto Agency has issued a request for proposals for a water taxi and sea bus in a study. And what I'm hoping is going to happen here is that instead of us coming up with great lumbering ferries and ferry docks and, you know, stations and stuff like that where people would line up in desultory fashion in Scarborough, the beach, and then travel on slow moving boats to the downtown. I hope we just come up with a means of creating like an Uber system for people with boats. And as long as it's safe, then somebody could just walk down to a dock, clamber on a boat, zip to downtown in whatever amount of time it would take. Maybe somebody listening right now could give me an impression of what sort of watercraft we could use and how fast it would be and how economically feasible it would be. But I'm sure an awful lot of people would leave the car at home or not even have a car if they could just ride a bike to the waterfront and hop into a boat. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Okay, so that civil service strike could end up being somewhat vexatious. Um, I'll go through this in greater detail a little later on in the show, but there's a blow-by-blow -blow account in the Globe and Mail today of how this strike is going to affect services. And the thing is, most of these, well, no, all of the essential stuff is going to continue. So, you know, if we've got safety inspections at farms, that continues. Uh, Canada Revenue Agency could be interesting and because, you know, no, none of the benefits, none of the checks that they will cut you aside from your refund are going to be affected. But there could be delays in processing income tax and benefit returns. However, people are being advised to file their taxes nonetheless. Then we get into the transportation agency. Everything is going to remain more or less the same. Uh, things like passport processing is actually that could slow down. However, emergency humanitarian and emergency situations, uh, situations, everything will continue, including the delivery of passports to individuals who desperately need them. Um, I'm sure you are crestfallen that Library and Archives Canada service points are going to be reduced, but still maintained. Uh, policing is going to continue. I've been told when it comes to the RCMP, it's not the officers themselves. They have their own union, but it is going to be the people who support them. But again, things that are deemed essential will continue. So I don't know that too many people are necessarily going to notice. I don't know what level of interaction you have with the federal government on a regular basis. Aside from filing my taxes and getting a new passport every five years, although the last time I filed for 10, so I didn't have to worry about it. Uh, I don't have a lot of interaction with the federal government. Uh, it's 5.50.
And we are joined by NBC News National Radio correspondent Aaron Rael here today to talk about how Wall Street is telling high schoolers that maybe they should pick tech over finance, which is kind of counterintuitive. But Aaron, I'll let you explain. Good morning. Absolutely. Yes. So it's a brave new world. And parents of today's kindergartners should actually think about gently nudging them towards a career in the medical field. This is according to findings from a Bloomberg survey. It spoke with other with over 700 respondents and nearly 40% said that children currently in elementary school will be best off with a job in the healthcare field if they want to avoid being displaced by AI. And that's because there's much more human to human interaction in healthcare, which for now seems very hard to replace with generative AI programs, things like ChatGPT. And economists, they also forecast a massive demand for healthcare workers as the population ages in the U.S. and around the world. But what's interesting is that investors have slightly different recommendations for those graduating high school because you're closer to your actual working life. They'd be best off pursuing careers in tech. And this is even in spite of recent layoffs at Meta, at Alphabet, at Amazon. They say that today pretty much every company is a tech company. And and it seems like while the current downturn that hit big tech Silicon Valley really left a lot of people without jobs, recruiters are saying that traditional industries, things like automakers, federal government jobs, they've rushed to snap up these laid off tech workers, the talent there, the new grads, because again, every company is a tech company as the saying goes. And people, even if you're an automaker, if you're an interior designer, if there's someone who has a background in technology, it is very helpful to your business. So these jobs are still in high demand. And then lastly, finance jobs. Well, for the past 20 to 30 years, they've absolutely held the title as the most lucrative. It seems like AI is coming for many of them first and people working in finance say that they think they're okay for the next three years, but their confidence begins to falter over a longer time horizon. Wow. Who would have thought that uh, tech could replace so many people, probably including you and me one of these days, Aaron? I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Anything's possible. (laughs) Aaron Rao, thank you very much. Have a great day. NBC News Radio National Correspondent Aaron Rael. And it's a fascinating perspective that You know, um, I I wonder what the planning horizon was back in the day for providing people with career advice. And you probably thought that there would be generational shift, that maybe every 20, 30 years, certain things were going to change. And now we are, it's complete, it's impossible to predict what AI is going to take over in, in the coming years. So effectively, if you bet on a career, that involves humans or manual labor, maybe the trades, you're probably safe. Everything else, anybody's bet. So uh, back to one of the federal institutions for just a second, Uh, Canadian Revenue Agency is warning people that there's a scam out there. So if you get a message by text or email telling you that this is the means by which you can claim your grocery rebate, It ain't real. So this just is one in a long line of whenever somebody announces some sort of a benefit, like a class action uh, payoff, a federal or provincial government rebate, anything like that, um, you will not be getting a text or an email from the government. You have to go and apply for it yourself. And if you punch that hyperlink, you are in for a world of trouble.
So speaking of all things cyber, I was listening to Jerry yesterday, and he did an interesting segment about all of these attack websites that are springing up in the Toronto municipal race. And he was raising some interesting questions, as many other people are, which is, like, who's behind these websites? There, there's actually, it's not even websites entirely. People have been stapling um, pieces of paper attacking Brad Bradford up in his ward. But there are anti-Brad Bradford, anti-Anna Bailau websites. I'm pretty sure there's probably by this morning a website attacking Olivia Chow. And there's nothing wrong with attacking a candidate. But the problem would be if you do it on radio, if you do it in print, if you do it on TV, you have to take credit for it. So you have to say, you know, this sponsored by the Citizens for a Better Toronto. And that may be some shadowy group that was set up by somebody working on some other mayor, mayoral candidate's campaign. But at the very least, a clever person could track it down and figure out who's paying the bills. But that's the problem. In the time we're living in, you know, cyber has replaced all of the existing media. Not replaced, but has become a complement too. And the rules don't apply to cyber. So nobody requires these websites to say, oh, by the way, you know, this anti-Olivia Chow campaign was sponsored by this candidate's fundraisers or somebody who's, you know, this candidate's pollster, whatever. So I don't know how long it's going to take for the laws to catch up. But in this particular campaign, you are going to come across all kinds of websites saying all kinds of stuff. And what's particularly compelling in all of this is, for example, the attacks on Brad Bradford. The graphics are first class. The, the text is professionally written. So this isn't some mischievous kid working part time. This is some A-list campaign official or organization or consulting firm that has deliberately set up this website in order to go after the candidate. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.